on this episode. The whole time that's happening, like I have an altimeter in my helmet that that started sounding an alarm. And there are different alarms for different levels, like, hey, pull your parachute now. And then there's an alarm that's like, we kind of yeah, mean it. Hope you really pulled your parachute. Yeah. And then there's one that sounds like like a British ambulance. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's like I'm, when they're calling next of kin. Right. Like. I'm, I'm hurtling toward the earth. Wow. Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe. This is Big Conversations, Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. We are recorded live right at Little Bar, the center of the Coachella Valley Universe. Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California. Stop by, say hi to Mo, say hi to Skip, and uh, enjoy yourself a nice cold beverage because that's what we're doing. And we're here today. I'm Patrick Evans. I'm here with my co-host and good friend, Randy Florence. Good to see you. And you have wrangled yet another Valley Luminary to be our guest. I don't know what you're luring them with, but how did you score this particular guest? She's a big name. I was lucky enough that somebody else that we interviewed knows this person. That was purely it. There's nothing special about me other than I picked this, up the phone and this said... This is how we're booking guests? This is like how we're a booking... A friend of a friend? A friend of a friend of a friend. Well, I've been a fan of Maggie's writing for, gosh, now going on uh, uh, probably a decade and a half. When did you... Well, let me introduce... Let's introduce our but, guest. Why don't you do that? <laughs> Maggie Downs. Now, I want to get through this because this is important. She holds a Master of Fine Arts degree from UC Riverside Palm Desert. Attended journalism school at Ohio University, and you still consider yourself a Buckeye? No, no, that's no. Ohio State. <laughs> no, Bulldog? a Bobcat. A Bobcat. Bobcat. No, come on. <laughs> I'm glad you said it was important. Then you screwed it up. That's terrific. <laughs> but everybody's going to know by the end of this it's that I'm well consistent. So Essays have appeared in the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, and she is the author of a best-selling book called Braver Than You Think. This is the way you described yourself in your blog. Oh, no. <laughs> a writer, a coffee guzzler, adventure collector, mediocre photographer. Is that all still yeah, accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Anything that you would add to it at this point? No, although I think that bio might still be inaccurate in that I mentioned having a dog in the bio, and that dog has passed away. Um, but... But I still love coffee, still love collecting adventure, still very mediocre at photography. I try, though. I try really hard. So far, we've discussed the dog that passed. So this is not the feel-good hit of the podcast. Oh, no. No, I have, I have an amazing cat now. <laughs> uh, Maggie, we were just talking because uh, our, our lives sort of overlapped a little bit about uh, 2010. Mm -hmm. When did you arrive here in the desert? I came here in 2005, and I thought Palm Springs would be a temporary stop. I thought I'd be here for a couple of years and then move on. So many people do. And it turns out I love the desert. I just, I kind of stayed. <laughs> uh, you came here to write for the Desert Sun, mm -hmm. and uh, my, my first wife. That's uh, the local newspaper here, isn't it? it? They still, it's not local, it's published in Arizona, so it's, it's not a local newspaper. But they have some nice people who work there. Uh, and, but it was very local. 
when Maggie arrived here, and Rick Green was your editor in Cincinnati. He was. And yeah. you you decided you were tired of the cold weather and said, I, I need to go follow the sun. Yes. You know, in Cincinnati, I was... Um, a nighttime police reporter. So like when bodies were dredged from the river or there was a shooting or some other grim news, I was the person that was there. Um, and, you know, every night I made the rounds calling all the different police departments to see what was going on. And at a certain point, like I just, I couldn't do that anymore. Um, I knew Rick had moved to Palm Springs and it just so happened a feature reporting job opened up in Palm Springs, writing about Coachella and the film fest and cocktails and restaurants and all sorts of things that weren't dead bodies. And I was, I, you know, it just sounded fairness, really great. you're not going to the right cocktail parties. Right. Though, <laughs> yeah, clearly. Clearly. Um, yeah. So it was just a really great opportunity. Everything lined up. I thought, I'm going to go to this place. And, um, and all my friends, you know, they were like, oh, Palm Springs, isn't that where all the old people go? And... Um, <laughs> And it turns out I've aged into Palm Springs. <laughs> I'm just, I'm staying. I really like it here. And I love, you know, the quality of life is so high. I love the access to hiking trails. And I love, you know, the sunshine and just everything about the desert. So talk about when, when you arrived and you, you left the police desk and now you're doing like... Dredging up bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure Todd could tell. Todd Goldberg, uh, who, whom you uh, know very well and was a previous guest. Uh, talk a little bit about just changing gears and settling mm-hmm. into Because I remember when I first moved here, I worked for Jackie Lee Houston. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, every socialite event that happened we were kind of part of because Jackie would buy five tables and fill them with people right. who worked at the television station. It's a huge culture shift. It was, it was an enormous culture shift. Um, like, you know, I went from wearing like whatever dockers were on sale from JCPenney to suddenly <laughs> I have a closet full of like gala dresses <laughs> and, um, and going to those events. It was, it was all new for me. Um, and, and I remember someone that I worked with at the Desert Sun, he had asked me, um, he said, do you have um, indoor plumbing in Ohio where you're from? And I was like, what? wow, I'm, I'm from Cincinnati. I'm from a city. <laughs> um, so, so I was from a city, but it, you know, it's a Midwestern city. It was, California was very new for me and, um, and just just the lifestyle it it's still it still dazzles me sometimes you know i drop my son off at school and he goes to a school with palm trees and i just think that's the coolest thing you know you um you were writing about lifestyle and, and these great cultural events and, and then you had a column mm-hmm. talk about your column yeah um i had a column just you know meeting interesting people. Um, it went through some name changes for a while. I, I don't remember everything it was called, but at one point it was Mornings with Maggie, and I would just kind of like set up shop at coffee in Palm Springs, and people would stop by, and they would tell me their story, and I would just write about really interesting people. And so I met, you know, someone who had been a speech writer for the king of Papua New Guinea, and, you know, like just... People here have amazing stories, so that was really fun to do. Well, that's when I fell in love with your writing. I loved your column. Yeah, uh, it, thank you. You always found the most interesting aspect 
of, of what may not have been a particularly interesting day but like <laughs> like you, you you found something fascinating about it and 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 your writing always amplified that and so i've uh, I've been a fan of your writing for a long time. Thank you. You know, I'm always drawn to the most unique things or the weird angle or like just earlier today, um, I heard about someone who does fortune telling with cheese. And I was like, I, I have to write a story about this. Fortune <laughs> like, telling with cheese. Yes. It's divination that you do with cheese. Like kind of like reading tea leaves, but looking at like the curds. So, and I, I can't tell you everything about it. I haven't written a story about it yet, but like that's the kind of thing where I'm instantly hooked, you know, like I, I have to write. And there's that. a lot of those stories right. in this valley, aren't there? <laughs> yes. And outside of the valley, you know, um, next week I'm going on an assignment for Outside Magazine and the story I'm writing is about cow hugging therapy and um, how spending an hour cuddling with a cow is supposed to alleviate anxiety and you know I'm a writer I have a lot of anxiety it sounds like a lot of bull <laughs> so, right. oh that's I'm sorry. good yeah. I'm totally going to steal can, we that, can take that, that out. <laughs> we can take that out in post John <laughs> It's utterly ridiculous. (laughs) Well, maybe we can move on from this line. (laughs) You know, I, um, I just finished reading your, your book. Congratulations. Uh, Braver than you think. It was fantastic. There were, it's not really just a book. I, I mean, this is, this was a lifestyle change for you. And really what you were doing was sharing all of that with us. Thank you. I, I wanted to, uh, something here that really caught my attention was the end of the prologue Mm -hmm. a red graphic with bold letters flashes across the screen egypt in crisis my face blooms hot and red my eyes water a tremor quakes through my entire body and i force myself to remain standing it's january 25th 2011 the day of rage the day the arab spring ignites my mom is dead I am alone, far from home, and a revolution has begun. I got goosebumps just reading that again. Is it pretty easy for you to put yourself in that place uh, still and remember um, what it was like? Yeah, that was probably the most challenging part of writing my memoir is um, because you have to put yourself back in the most painful moments of your life, you know, and really immerse yourself in that. And... um, and the first draft of my memoir, you could tell that I was avoiding that. And, um, and I was skipping over like all of those painful moments. And, um, and my editor was really intuitive. And he pointed out like, oh, I can tell you're, you're not saying something here. Um, and, and there's a writer that I really admire, Steve Almond. And his, his writing advice is to slow down where it hurts. And I feel like that's true in writing and it's also true in life. Like you try to avoid those painful moments and just kind of like, like let it roll off your back or, or whatever and move on. And, um, and so I deliberately had to relive those moments and stay in them and describe them for other people. Um, and my husband would come home from work and he would know when it was a difficult writing day for me because I would just be like sitting, staring at a wall, you know. Um, and, but I think the book is better for that. It's better for me spending time in those moments that hurt because those are the things that resonate with readers. And those are the things that um, people 
you know, they can find some universality in it because everyone knows what grief is like. Everyone knows what pain is like. Everyone has experienced loss. And so those are the moments where you forge a connection with the reader. Yeah. Well, I don't, the, I, I don't the, want to bury the lead here because this is really important. Talk about the book. I mean, this was a lifestyle, major life change for you. What caused you to go there? So, um, so I had been working at the Desert Sun, and that's the local um, right. paper that's done out of Phoenix. <laughs> it's, it's, it's out of Phoenix, but there's, there's some nice people who work there. I, I will continue yep. to say that. Um, and and like I said, I had been writing feature articles. I remember one of the last stories that I wrote was about Paris Hilton's dog's clothing designer who came to town and did like a fashion show, and I thought. What am I doing with my life? I'm done. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> Did you have a plan B? And and really, I mean, I was like, this is all I've got. <laughs> and um, this has to and, work. Yeah. And I was I was sitting in my little cubicle at the Desert Sun. I sat across from Bruce Fessier, <laughs> who's a wonderful person. Like I I was working with wonderful people, but I thought, you know, I'm spending all of this time telling other people's stories and I'm not sure that those are the stories that I want to be telling and around the same time my mom was entering the final stages of Alzheimer's disease and we knew that she was declining she had had Alzheimer's for almost a decade already wow um but the her end wasn't imminent it she was just kind of like she was toward the end but um I had no idea that she would die anytime soon Mm. Um, but I thought you know my mom always wanted to travel the world and we always used to look at like National Geographic every month together and talk about the places we would visit someday and my mom always put off those things and she would say you know I'll do that later I'll do that after your dad retires or after you guys leave the house and and that later never came for her because her Alzheimer's was early onset um, and she she was pretty far gone into the disease by the time she was diagnosed. So she was never able to take those trips or to do those things yeah. that she wanted to accomplish. And sitting there in my cubicle, I thought, I'm doing the same thing that my mom did. You know, I keep telling myself, I'm going to travel someday. I need to save up money. I need to do this. I need to, I need to accomplish these things first. But what if that tomorrow isn't guaranteed? And... Um, And so I decided to sell all of my things, um, which sadly only amounted to $10,000. I quit my job and um, I got a backpack and I... I set out to travel the world solo. Um, I had n- I had never really traveled before, so I had no idea if I would be back in two weeks or a month. Or my intention was to stay a year, but nobody believed I could do it. At the Desert Sun, they had a death pool going to see where I would be when I died, like taking bets on where I would die and Did when. Did Bruce start that? Is that sounds like <laughs> It was Stark Richard Guzman, Bruce. if you remember him. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, yeah. I do. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so, um, so, you know, people were taking bets on like how far I'd go or if I was going to perish. And I didn't even know if I could do it. So, um, so I just, I hoped for the best and, and I learned as I went and, um, and it was, it was a truly amazing trip. 
what I did was um, I went to places that I remember I remembered my mom talking about and things that she wanted to do and then along the way I found things that I wanted to do for my own bucket list and um, and I did those things and then um, at the end of one year I was summoned for jury duty <laughs> So uh, I tried to get out of jury duty. And I'm sorry, I'm in Machu Picchu. I can't make it. <laughs> and um, and I remember contacting um, the contacting Riverside County, and um, and they didn't quite understand like that. I had no end date for my travel. They were like, "Okay, when are you coming home?" I said, "I don't, I don't, I have no idea." <laughs> and they're like, "When is your return flight?" I said, "I don't have a return flight. I'm just." traveling. Um, but you know, it was, it was a year that I had been on the road. Um, and it was time for me to come home anyway. So, and when you left, you were, your personal life had taken some moves and such (laughs) just before you left. Right. So that's another unusual thing about this story is that I got married just before I left. And then my husband and I went on our honeymoon to Peru and then he returned to Palm Springs and I continued traveling for a year. So we, we usually tell people that we heard the first year of marriage (laughs) is the hardest. So we decided to skip it. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, so yeah, we we in part got married because I was traveling. Um, we had been engaged for a long time, and I felt no like huge um, desire to get married anytime soon. Like I it, I had no sense of urgency. But when we knew I would be traveling, um, he just he realized that as a boyfriend, he didn't have any like rights or any way to help me in the way that. Uh, like a legally bound <laughs> partner could. Right. So, um, so we got married in part because I, I went on this trip. He wow. wasn't in the pool at work, was he? I, mean, I, know. <laughs> I know. That would be really wrong. Yes. <laughs> when you when you came back, um, was there a period of time where you two had to kind of get to know each yeah, other? I don't know this guy, but yeah, gone. yeah. Uh, well, well, you, you know, had changed. I mean, that that you kind had of to travel. Have. Really, yeah. I think changes a person in in significant ways. I yeah, I believe every trip that I take changes me in some way, and that was such a period of significant change. And and over that time, um, my mom had died, and so I had gone through this period of grief, and just so many things in my life had shifted. It was um, there was a period of getting to you know know him all over again, and luckily we are people who. Um, we grow together, and so I, I think he admired the changes in me, um, and, um, and, and he's always been just really supportive of, um, of what I want to do. We also met skydiving. He was my skydiving instructor, so I think our relationship has always been a little unconventional. <laughs> you know, you described your first uh, sky. I, I went once. You, what you went. How many hundreds of times? I've gone over 300 times. Wow. You What? I'm a licensed skydiver. Yeah. 300 jumps out of a plane. Yes. And all of the planes were in working order at the time. All the planes well, were in working but order. Here, here's the key. 
she described what the plane is like <laughs> that you're getting into. Yeah. There's no seats. There's no seat belts. You're sitting on a floor. You're all jammed up against each other. And you're hoping to God that you're not the next one about to step out of the door. I've read that. Yeah. 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 So, um, but you know, skydiving has become a really powerful metaphor for how I live my life beyond that. Like, the hardest part for me in skydiving has always been getting out the door, you know? And once I'm out, you know, when I'm when I'm in free fall or under canopy, I love that. Wow. I feel very much in control. I feel very much at peace. Like, I, I really love the actual skydive, but it's just, like, getting myself out there. That's, that's the issue. And so I would always play tricks on myself. Like, I would lie to myself and tell myself I was on the Olympic skydiving team, <laughs> which isn't a thing that exists. Um, or I'm Angelina Jolie's stunt double and I need to film this scene. Like, anything to get myself out the door. And so in life, anytime I find something that's really scary to me or feels very daunting, I just, I know I have to trick myself into making that first step and then I'll enjoy the rest of it. Yeah. You remember the adrenaline rush once you landed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and, but you know, skydiving, it, it was more than the adrenaline rush. I found it very centering because you can't stress out about work. You can't think about, you know, any drama with your friends or anything else. You're very much focused on what you're doing so that you don't die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that takes away a lot of stress from your life. You're just very focused and present in that moment. And, and your first jump was not tandem. No, I did AFF. That was yeah. crazy. That's, yeah. What yeah. Is, now, tell for folks who don't know, including myself, AFF, what is that? It's mean? accelerated free fall and so i went through ground Which school does not sound like something you want to do right <laughs> accelerate my free fall yeah no there's a, n none of that phrase feels comfortable to me. so and i suspect um, it makes life insurance harder to come by oh yeah yeah <laughs> um accelerated free fall and i went through ground school and for some reason i was really focused on like the dumbest details in ground school like i kept asking the instructor like what happens if I hit a bird in free fall? And they're like, you won't. I'm like, but okay, but what if I do? <laughs> and, um, and so ground school should have taken like six hours. And for me, it took eight because I asked so many dumb questions. It was questions. an MFA program right. for you. Yeah. And how many birds and have you hit? Zero. <laughs> None. Okay. Um, but it's I have had very really. good training because on my 200 second skydive, my parachute didn't come out. And so I... I, I've had enough training that I knew what to do, and I handled it. And what did you I'm, do? So um, I cut away, which is where um, you you pull a handle to disconnect the parachute and hope for the best when you pull the handle for your reserve parachute. And, um, and you know, there were a few choices before I cut away. I thought, like, I could try to untangle this because once you cut away, like... That's it. I mean, you're really hoping your reserve works. Um, so I, I thought, should I try to fiddle with it? Should I give it another go? And How much time do you have to make that decision? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> it's the whole time that's happening. Like, I have an altimeter in my helmet that that started sounding an alarm. And there are different alarms for different levels. Like, hey, pull your parachute now. And then there's an alarm that's like... We kind of yeah, mean it. Hope you really pulled your parachute. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one that sounds like, like a British ambulance. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, and that's like I'm, when they're calling next of kin. Right. Like, I'm, I'm hurtling toward the earth. <laughs> wow. And at that point, I feel like everything really simplified. Like, I just... I knew I had to cut away, which I did. 
and you're hoping that it doesn't get tangled in the reserve when it comes out and and the reserve popped open and I wasn't even thinking in words anymore I just saw colors like I looked up and there was blue and then suddenly there was yellow which was the color of my reserve and I was like oh thank god <laughs> and um now do you pack your own chute when you so I packed my own main parachute um you have to have a certified rigger uh pack your reserve and I bought that guy like the best bottle of liquor he's ever had in his life um, because like to thank him for packing it so well. So um, did it turn out that you had packed yours incorrectly? It wasn't incorrect. It was just um, one of those just things. a fluke. Yeah. Stop victim shaming, <laughs> Randy. This is really not the place for it. Uh, I'm still picturing you. my jump. Right. <laughs> So how long did it take you to decide to, so that was the 202nd jump. Right, yeah. How long before you decided to jump out of plane again? Um, so I jumped again that same day using no a borrowed way. rig because my, my friends who were much more um, accomplished skydivers than I was, you know, people who have done thousands of jumps, they said, you need to get back in the air right away. Otherwise, you'll be too scared the next time. So you just need to get back up. And, um, and so they put me on the next plane load. I, I didn't even really That is that. unbelievable. I know, I know. And yeah. you're still jumping today? Uh, so my husband ended up having um, a, a skydiving accident that... Um, uh, I don't really want to go into the details, but he ended up having a skydiving accident. And so we have quit skydiving. I still, I really miss the sport. Yeah. Um, after his accident, I, I did about another 40 jumps, and he's done some jumps since his accident, um, but it never quite felt the same again, and so we decided to stop. Most of the time when you hear skydiving accident, uh, yeah. yeah, there's no more part yeah. of the yeah, story. The, yeah, yeah. That, so well, it he's is still here. It's, <laughs> yes, so. uh, clearly. Thank goodness. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a remarkable... I mean, just remarkable in and of itself. Yeah. So the guy that I jumped with, Tandem, mm -hmm. had... I felt comfortable because he jumped over 600 times. I thought he'll make it 601. <laughs> um, but 10 years later, ended up in a backyard in Moreno Valley. Oh, no. And uh, that was enough to keep me from even thinking about doing it again. Yeah. Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I'm sorry. Well, it was... I am so... What part of what you did on this trip mm -hmm. that wrote your book came out that allowed you to start doing things like jumping out of planes? Would you have ever done that before you took this trip? So I did I did skydive before, before I did then. the trip. Okay. Um, That's but how she met her husband and they were married yeah. before the trip. Yeah. Oh, the skydiving trip. You're the yeah. guy with the notes. How are you not following I got to be taking notes story. of what we've yeah. talked about. But, you know, really, um, my mom's diagnosis was um, was the catalyst for all of this because it did make me realize how short life is and um, and that's one thing I always loved about skydiving was that I knew it was it was a risk I felt like it was a calculated risk you know I I trained and I made it as safe as possible um, but when I was actively skydiving, I felt very up to date with my relationships. Like I told people how much I loved them wow. or how much they meant to me so that because I knew that me dying was a very real risk. <laughs> and um, and I just wanted to make sure everyone knew how important they were to me. And I felt like very I felt like I was I was living in the present moment, like 
I was doing that well. Like I was really taking advantage of every day. When you're falling out of a plane, you are in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let me ask you this. Because jumping out of a plane is, is like, that's the quintessential adrenaline junkie. Right. What, how do you satisfy that need now? <laughs> Well, um, I just besides right, this. Yeah. Oh, well, this is, yeah. I mean, this is this is it. This Living is, on the edge. Right. <laughs> um, well, if Randy you, fell asleep and couldn't remember the questions he'd asked. So, <laughs> um, a few months ago, I summited Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, so that's something. Um, yes, that is. <laughs> I think it's more than something. Yeah. That's that's terrific. Thanks. Um, so you still like finding things that are a little risky, a little... Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's another thing where I just, I had no idea if I could do it. So I had to do it to see. But now you have a, a little boy. I do. How old is your son? He's nine. Nine years old. Yes. He's very angry that I didn't take him up Mount Kilimanjaro. So how did that change your approach to some of these more dangerous things you do in life? Um, you know, I, I do think about... Like, I, I don't want him to grow up without a mother, obviously, but I also want to model a life of adventure for him, and I want to model a life of curiosity, and I never want him to make fear-based decisions. I want him to lead a life, you know, out of, out of joy and discovery, and so I feel like um, a lot of the trips we do, we do together. Um, he does a lot of really active things with me, uh, like we've gone swimming with whales in Belize and, you know, snorkeling all over the place. And, and he's, he's, he loves adventure. Also, his name is Everest. So I feel like I've really set him up for a life of <laughs> What happens when he comes to you and says he's ready to, to do a little skydiving? Oh, I know. I've thought about that. He, he, al- he already talks about does skydiving. He, does he? Yeah, yeah. And so my husband and I are like, well, I mean, we expected this. So we've talked about taking him to... Um, to the tunnel in Paris, California. Um, They have uh, a tunnel where you can practice free flying. So, yeah, it's it's on the horizon. I mean, I know skydivers who started, like their parents owned drop zones, and so they started long before it was actually like legal to. (laughs) (laughs) Throw their kid out of a plane when he's 12. It's okay. It'll be fine. You did something else with your your son that was pretty cool. You you talked about... you built something on your blog called Summer Camp for Life Skills. Oh, yeah. What was this about? Talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I just, you know, this summer we didn't have any big trips planned. And I thought, um, I'm just going to, like, teach him how to be a good human <laughs> and how to be a person. Um, it just felt like a, a really good time to teach him some life skills and... Um, and I had seen someone else online did something similar, and so I modeled it after that. But just teaching him some some things like, you know, I had never really gone through all the steps of like, here's how you do a load of laundry, and here's how you make dinner, and here's how this and that. And it helps that now he's making me coffee in the morning. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> a little That's self-serving. a nice side effect. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to send but, my daughters to camp with you right. because they're not doing that. I mean, my kids are... You take your kids on a life of adventure. My, my my oldest daughter just got a second set of piercings, and I was worried about that <laughs> in her ears. Yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> so you're two months into the the skills. Yeah. How's it going? 
it's great. He's back at school though, because now they right. go back to school in you know early August. So um, so we're already planning for our next like trip, our next adventure, and we're going to Guatemala for um, Christmas, and we're um, hiking a lot of volcanoes. Wow. That's our next thing. So he's already become a pretty accomplished traveler. He is. He's a great traveler. And, um, and you know, I think that, that that is teaching him how to be just a good person in the world. Like, um, some of those lessons he's learning can be applied to anything. Like, um, I, I encourage him to try everything even if he doesn't like it you know like take a bite of any food um you don't have to like it you don't have to take more than one bite um also don't yuck someone else's yum that's a big thing we teach like you know if someone likes something you don't have to like it but you don't have to be mean about it either like if someone does something a different way don't yuck their yum you know could you imagine how much better um, social media would be if everybody followed that rule right i, I mean, know just let people enjoy stuff so much yuck in their yum and, and then um, and i've taught him that when we travel um, we are guests wherever we go and we want to make every place a little bit better than um, than when we got there and so uh, we try to volunteer when we travel. We spent, he loves cats. So we've spent a lot of time um, like helping out at cat sanctuaries or feeding stray cats in Greece. And, um, you know, we pick up litter or just whatever. Like it doesn't have to be anything huge. You just, just help out and don't leave the place worse than when you found it. Well, I'd like to make myself available to be this young man's agent, whatever he's going to be when he grows up, because he's going to be successful. So you you decided uh, to, to take this incredible journey mm-hmm. and, and write this book. Talk about the impact that had on your career, because you were you had a very successful column and, and job at the Desert Sun. It's a local paper. And... <laughs> And then you just up and go. Right, yeah. And so, but And it's really transformed your career. It has, although it was really scary because um, it turns out I don't know how to leave something without burning every bridge behind me. <laughs> like that's the, that's the only way forward in my book is just like burn it all down. You truly are an adrenaline junkie. I'll burn the bridge while I'm still standing. Yeah. Right. And so uh, when I came home, I thought... I. I don't know what I want to do with my life. And on my trip, I had spent a lot of time volunteering to try to figure out what I wanted to do. I thought I would find my calling. And so I volunteered to teach English when I was in Rwanda. And I volunteered at a monkey sanctuary. And that was great until a monkey attacked me. And um, <laughs> I volunteered. What with, happened with the monkey attack? Oh Tell God. us the story. Oh, it was terrible. I was, I was in Bolivia. I was in a village that's very very remote and um and the there's a lot of like um there's a seedy underbelly to this place this part of Bolivia where uh there are a lot of farmers growing coca which gets turned into cocaine and so there's there's uh they decided to build a highway through this monkey sanctuary in order to more efficiently get the coca out of this village but the way they decided to build this highway was to suddenly come in one day um and and tear the jungle down with machetes 
And so I was there with the monkeys and people were just like slashing trees down while monkeys were in them. And the monkeys were like screaming and people were throwing monkeys. I mean, it was horrific. Um, And so the next day I was still at the sanctuary trying to help out and like take care of, of the monkeys that still existed there. And, um, and one of them was very angry, was very agitated, rightfully so. Um, and he just jumped on my, on my lap. I was, I was sitting like in the forest. He jumped on my lap and he just started biting me. And, um, and he bit my hand so hard that I could feel his fangs contact with my bone. Oh my God. Um, like there was blood all over my arm and, um, and there was only one tiny hospital in town. Like I left, I left the jungle. I walked over to the hospital, and I was trying to communicate. Like I need stitches, and and they said and, and, and some antibacterial. Right. Yeah. And some. they they were like, uh, we don't really have any clean needles. Is that okay? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is not okay. We'll just use the monkey thing <laughs> yeah. at this point. Um, so I ended up going to a veterinarian to stitch me up because they were yeah, the only other needles. place in town that had clean needles. And then I, I managed to find a pharmacy and it was a tiny pharmacy and I was trying to ask for antibiotics even though I don't really speak Spanish. And I was like, like just using my terrible like a guidebook, you know, it doesn't really give you anything helpful. <laughs> so um, they basically put out a bunch of antibiotics. I didn't know what kind I needed, and they were all dusty. I just picked the most colorful ones <laughs> and hoped for the best. And um, and I mean, my hands looked really, really bad for a while. Um, I was in another remote part of Bolivia when the stitches were starting to come out and I had to pull them out using nail clippers. Um, but now I don't, I don't really have a scar or anything. Yeah, I'm I'm, normal. Yeah, I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. Is that like one of the worst things that happened on, on your journey? Yeah. Well, um, so I was in Egypt during the Arab spring and that was, um, that was scary. I, um, just because the government had shut down the news. And for a news person, when there's suddenly no news and there's a revolution happening, it's very disconcerting. You know, I just, I I needed to know what was happening. And my mom had just died right before that. And I knew my family was going crazy and I couldn't communicate with them. Um, And then like the ATMs were out of money. There were curfews. Um, the grocery stores were going empty. Like there, there were no deliveries of like the things, the necessities that you need. Um, and the gas stations were running out of out of fuel. And I thought, if I want to get out, like I need to get out now. Um, and and I remember going to the ATMs and using my debit card, even though I knew they didn't have money because my husband had access to my bank account. And I thought could see he can were. see that I'm trying to get out. That was pretty smart. And um, I know I was like, what would law and order do? <laughs> <laughs> and That's good stuff, Maggie. <laughs> that is good stuff. And um, I ended up... Uh, there was a Bedouin man who helped me and he brought me to a friend's camp along the Red Sea and that friend helped me um, get on a boat and go to Jordan and I was able to communicate with my family again. Was that the scariest time during the trip just because it was all new? And Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was really, 
you know, that all unwound pretty quickly. My my wife was there just a couple of weeks before the uprising, and everything was pretty normal there. Yeah. So I had left Egypt to fly home to Ohio to attend my mom's funeral, and then I returned to Egypt. And I remember sitting in my dad's living room, and we were looking at the newspaper, and there was something about, like disruption in Egypt or something and it was it was a small paragraph and he said huh I wonder if that's anything and I was like oh no it's fine yeah it's kind of like a January of 2020 yeah. somebody yeah. has the flu <laughs> right and um and I just keep thinking about like oh yeah that paragraph turned into like entire history books now well now you write uh, for for many different outlets, mm-hmm. a lot of adventure stuff. What's the next book? Mm. So I do have a book coming out in March 2024, and um, and that's the book that I wanted when my son was very little. Um, it's called Fifty Things to Do Before You're Five, oh. and um, and it's. It's part guide, um, but it's also a journal where families can keep track of as they do the different activities. They can um, write down what happened. Um, it's like kind of like a cool baby book is how I've been describing it. Um, but when my son was born, you know, I had pretty bad postpartum depression, and I thought, I'm never going to travel again. Like, And I knew the key to everything was just getting out of the house. Like, everything was so much better when I left the house, but... I couldn't figure out how to do that. (laughs) It's kind of like the skydiving door. Like, I know I just have to get out, but how? Um, And I'm a list maker. So I started making lists of like, okay, here's what we can do. I can take him to an art museum or I can do this. And as we did that, my friends would ask me like, how did you think to bring your son to this place? Or why did you like, that's really cool that you did this with a baby. And, and so I thought other parents need this book. Um, and that comes out in March. It's, it's up on Amazon now for available for pre-order. Um, and, and it's called 50 things to do before you're five. Yes. Available for pre-order on Amazon. And yes. that sounds like there's a sequel opportunity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's being published by my dream publisher for it. Like the, the publishing house I had in mind when I was writing it. So I'm, I'm so happy with that. And then I'm working on, um, a proposal for my third book. And that also involves travel and it's a little more research oriented. Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel like that kind of sucks the energy out but it's you know a passion project for me and i'm i'm so excited to see where it goes now how we're going to drill down on that for the next 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> how much time do you spend writing every day or do you write every day um i try to write every day uh sometimes it's just you know the the articles i'm writing to pay the bills so i don't necessarily do my creative writing every day um one thing is i recently um I recently bought an old word processor because I realized that when I write, I get lured away by the internet. And so I bought like this old AlphaSmart word processor and it's been great. Like before I know it, you know, I have 
a couple thousand words because I, I can't do anything else. I'm just writing and like you get in this flow state. So, so that's been really helpful for me. Well, yeah. I liked what you posted uh, fairly recently, I think. It was a comparison of your writing schedule with Hunter S. Thompson's. <laughs> right. And you do far less cocaine than he did. I yeah. noticed that was almost absent in your... Well, well we can't make any assumptions. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It, she, she spells it out. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. Very clear. Okay. Well, I'm writers don't assumptions. make as much as they used to, so well, I can't afford the cocaine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but also not a lot of... Uh, you don't have very many cocktails before before you start yeah. writing and oh, he no. seemed to yeah well I also wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and he woke so. up at 3 in the afternoon <laughs> right. So. right so so a few differences yeah, yeah. I also Peloton a lot more than Andrestos the, there was zero mention of Peloton yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it was remarkable to me how absent that was you just did something else really fun on Facebook too and I, I sent you a comment on it oh. one of my all time favorite poets is Mary Oliver mm-hmm. and you started writing something called Mary Oliver Garden. Oh yeah, so Can you I wrote talk about that. I wrote a piece for uh, this literary journal, McSweeney's. It's a it, it's a humor site. Um, I wrote a piece called "Welcome to Mary Oliver Garden," and it's just kind of a riff on like. Um, kind of mashing up Mary Oliver poetry and quotes with Italian adjacent cuisine (laughs) and like it was just a weird thing that I kind of invented and the piece has gone weirdly viral I've heard from people all over the world um I heard from Emma Roberts. Oh my gosh. Um, People have told me they are turning it into their Halloween costume, which is to me like the highest. A giant breadstick. I know. I was like, wait until you hear my idea for Stevie Wonder Woman. (laughs) And and, um, yeah, so it's just been, people have been really receptive to it. Mary Oliver is beloved by a lot of Unitarian Universalists yes. and Episcopalians. And so I've heard from churches, like asking if they can put it in their church bulletins. It's it's wild how that piece has resonated. And um, it was just like a weird thing that I thought up. And I thought, well, hopefully like one or two people think this is funny. And, and just another way for your writing to get out there. Yeah. You know, 15 years ago, it was I either write for a paper or I write a book, but that was pretty much it. Right, yeah. yeah. I've had, you know, other pieces go viral in a bad way where I hear from, like, angry or, you know, like, unhinged people all over the world. But this is really nice to hear from people saying, hey, you brought me joy or you gave me a good laugh. So so I need to do more humor writing, I think. That was, I, I saw that, uh, just today I saw that. It was hilarious. And Thank you. I have a... a sketchy relationship with Olive Garden is an Italian As we all do. (laughs) So we've got just a couple minutes here. Um, The other thing that really I was taken uh, by your book was the uh, epilogue. Mm -hmm. And in it, you talk about Everest, and he had a turtle named Spikey. Yes. And as he's putting it into the ocean, he said, instinct is like knowing without actually knowing you know. Instinct tells him that he must be out there, so he goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much of Spikey is in you? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that was, it was just such a resonant moment for me because, um, 
you know, we had taken this baby sea turtle and we were helping this baby sea turtle get from like the danger of the beach out into the ocean where it can thrive. And so I did see a lot of that, a lot of spiky in myself, but I also thought of it as like my mother's message for me. Like my mother wanted to usher me out into the world. Wow. And, um, and that's also what I want for my son. You know, I think that's what every parent wants is to prepare their child to leave them, which is, which is awful, but it's also the way of the world. Well, it was another goosebump moment for me reading that. Thank so you. Thank you for sharing. You, get, you shared a lot of yourself in this book. Yeah. Thank you for that. And you've shared a lot of uh, great insights on our podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we'll have to get you on again for uh, the new book coming out and then also to find out where these uh, summer skills move on to as (laughs) Everest gets a little bit older. (laughs) I could see him writing his own book in another 10 years and just carrying on. Yes, um, I did have him read the epilogue before I turned it into the publisher because I, and you know, he was only like five at the time. And, um, and he said, I didn't say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's an editor, right? Everybody's an editor. (laughs) That's great. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for coming and joining us. This is the number one podcast that is recorded at (laughs) Skip's Little Bar. Um, it's the most listened to podcast at Skip's Little Bar. It is. I don't think there's even a close number two. I, a, a distant number two. There's a think, lot of number two. John does one right after us. It's, he kind of ghosts us on it, but that's cool. Maggie Downs, our guest today. And Maggie, your next book is already on pre-sale, 50 Things to Do Before You're Five. Yes. And that's on pre-sale at Amazon.com. And your first book, Braver it's, Than You Think. Braver Than You yes, Think. Yes, also on Amazon or anywhere you want to buy books. And it was uh, immediately at Amazon bestseller. When it that was, hit, yes. it just spiked. And so, yeah. congratulations to you. Thank and I, you. I, you know, like I said, I, I've followed your career. We, you came to the desert shortly after I did. Always enjoyed reading your work. And then suddenly you just like blossomed. And uh, but you still call the desert home, which yes. I think people really appreciate. You know, thank you so much. I appreciate that coming from you. I've admired your work as well. well so thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Congratulations kind. on the success. All right. We are delighted to have you, Maggie Downs. Check out her latest offering, and of course, we will be back again with another episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. I'm Patrick Evans for Randy Florence and John McMullen. Thank you all for joining us and join us again next time. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations Little Bar with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System.